0: This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's, it's never this- easy to yeah. challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. In today's episode, we discuss all things nutrition. While we intuitively know healthy eating is important, what does this mean, and how do you do it without feeling deprived? And what is the impact if we don't make healthy choices? Kim Ross is an expert in holistic nutrition, specializing in autoimmune disease, fertility, gastrointestinal issues, skin health, and weight management. She answers all these questions and more. What I love about talking to Kim is that she doesn't put restraints around healthy eating, but instead provides options so you can do what's right for you. Please join me in welcoming Kim Ross. I was reading a book called The Whole Life Fertility Plan by Dr. Jamie Griffo and Kira Phillips, who I think is or was on CNN. It was a really interesting and helpful book about her experience in dealing with fertility and, and all the things that she wishes she would have known. And there, you had a lot of references in there because I know that you worked at NYU and are a nutritionist. And given the very helpful and valid points that you shared in that book, I sought you out um, because I thought that you talking to our audience about your expertise when it comes to nutrition and it's beyond just eating, as we'll discuss in today's podcast, I think it would be just really helpful for the women in this audience to um, hear from you. So thank you so much for responding to my email, and it's really been fun getting to know you as we prepare.
1: My pleasure. So nice to get to know you as well.
0: So let's start out by um, you telling us about yourself.
1: Well, I think what got me into nutrition initially was as a child, I always had a passion for health and wellness. And I always um, excelled in those classes. And I was interested in how the body is influenced by what we eat and how food makes us feel there was actually some illness in my family as a child. And I think it made me more aware of the connection between food and health. After college, I thought I would be in the arts in in college and that kind of thing. And I started in fashion with my career at Calvin Klein, actually, but soon realized that it was time for me to either go to medical school or business school. And I ended up deciding to get a master's in science at NYU, uh, focusing on nutrition and dietetics. So I could be both a nutritionist and healer, but also run a business yet not be as invasive as a doctor. So I think my strength lies more in educating and motivating rather than actually, you know, cutting people open and maybe maybe making a mistake. <laughs> um, that takes a certain type of personality. So I'm, I'm more into the education part of it. I did my internship at Mount Sinai Hospital for nutrition. And then ended up directing the equinox health club nutrition program developing a supplement plan training the trainers giving lectures to the pe- to the members there and working with all the different members on mul- on multiple levels with corporate as well and Really got interested in holistic medicine in addition to the in addition to the clinical background that I had, and then I worked with a bunch of different doctors in the city. Started going to alternative medicine and complementary medicine trainings around the country. Started lecturing. Got involved in fertility. Uh, worked at Rockefeller University for a while. Then I started a consulting business, doing consulting for companies from a nutrition standpoint, when it would be involved with food and products and health. Um, and I'm currently actually pursuing a fellowship in herbal medicine in addition to my private practice lecturing and consulting business.
0: That is quite a background. See, this is why I wanted to talk to you. <laughs> okay. So let's start with first helping people understand the baseline around the body's rhythm and how that plays a role and ties into nutrition and just how we treat our body and mind to stay healthy. So maybe we can help people understand that as a baseline. And the reason why I want to do that is because a lot of times when people hear nutrition, it's, let me go on this diet. (laughs) And I think we've discussed it's way more than that. And so I think maybe if we just start with understanding how everything works and why it's so important, maybe that would help level set. And then we can get into some of the details around food and toxins and and other aspects.
1: It's, It's pretty simple, but it's also complicated. But to simplify it all, especially women have a natural rhythm and we function on a moon cycle, on our menstrual cycle, in addition to a universal circadian rhythm which is our natural internal process that regulates the sleep-wake cycle and repeats about approximately every 24 hours. When we sleep, eat, and move our bodies actually does matter. So we have a lot of ups and downs with our hormones throughout the month. Obviously, if you're on the pill or something like that, it's going to blunt that effect and change that effect. And what you eat changes that effect. And what time you eat and how you eat, if you're eating when you're in a good mood, if you're eating when you're in a bad mood, Our organs detoxify at certain times of the day more so than other times, like, for example, the middle of the night. Our cortisol levels, uh, hormones, in addition to other stress hormones, increase at certain times and decrease at certain times, for example, in the morning, increasing, and our body temperature increases and decreases at certain times. So we want to respect this natural circadian rhythm and our natural moon cycle and rest when we need to rest, eat when we need to eat, really listen to the female intuition as to how our bodies are functioning. And I think that people could maybe listen a little bit better to what their body needs. Obviously, if you're craving something like sugar, maybe your body needs vitamin C and fruit or water because the fruit will contain vitamin C, it will contain water, or maybe you need fiber. It doesn't mean you need to go and eat you know, gummy bears or something like that. So, um, but listening to what you're craving, what nutrients your body what might need, and also really respecting the hormonal cycle, which I think plays a huge role in the decisions we make every day. With,
0: what struck me with what you were talking about is the moon cycle, and
1: maybe you could explain a little bit about what that means. Everyone's a little bit different in every cycle for women, and every cycle is a little bit different as far as when you ovulate, your follicular phase, your luteal phase, when your menstrual cycle begins, when it ends. Everyone, you know, some people are regular, some people are irregular. But if you are a very healthy person and things are working correctly, th- there would be a natural flow. And so, it would work in a way where you're peaking at certain times of the month to make fertility optimal in the sense that if you choose to get pregnant, you would have a better chance of getting pregnant. So when something is not right and your cycle is off, I think it's really important to look at what might be awry in your system. Is it something that you're eating? Is it stress? Is it an underlying illness? Is it inflammation? What exactly is it medications you're taking? Is it certain supplements that you're taking? And we'll get into this a little bit bit later about how the foods and supplements that you take can completely influence the cycle and how you feel and your levels of different hormones and things like that.
0: I can definitely attest to the food. On Sunday, I cheated. Don't tell my four-year-old, but I went to the park and uh, in Madison Square Park and I cheated and had a little tiny, tiny ice cream from Shake Shack. And I will tell you, as someone who's not supposed to eat dairy and gluten, I normally just have an overnight of bloating. I will tell you, it has taken me up until today to recover. I was going to bed at nine o'clock because I couldn't stay awake. I just felt sick. Um, I mean, just the amount that it affected me, I was blown away. Um, And so I I knew. Yeah, and I knew we were having this call today. And I definitely wanted to share the story because I'm like, I can't believe this. Like, (laughs) <laughs> it's just it, it, I cannot do dairy. There is no no more cheating from me.
1: No, yeah, I was going to say it's really interesting when people eat clean. Your body gets used to whatever you do, whether it's drinking a lot of alcohol or eating a lot of sweets or eating very clean. If you don't eat, you know, if you're a vegan and you don't eat meat for a long time, your body will then if you do eat meat, your body will have a little bit of difficulty digesting and metabolizing that meat because of the enzymes that you haven't uh, had in so long in your body. So when you eat clean and then you're in a way detoxifying your body, and then you go ahead and eat something kind of junky like a brownie or an ice cream, your body can go almost into shock and have an inflammatory reaction. I see that often with people that go on detoxes for anywhere from a couple of weeks to, let's call it four months, and then they Kind of break it and they get really sick. And they used to say, well, I used to eat brownies all the time and I never had a problem. But now I had a brownie after four months of not having any sweets or gluten and I had a complete reaction and all my joints were swollen. So our bodies are very sensitive, but the good thing is they can acclimate fairly quickly as well.
0: So I do want to dive into that, but before we do, I don't want to lose the moon cycle. So part of why I asked the question about the moon cycle is i I don't think it was a dream, but I think I read somewhere where um, someone had posted on social media, oh, it's ridiculous. People think that their cycles are based on the moon. And so from the way you described it, you didn't say, well, when it's a full moon, this is exactly what a woman, um, woman's body is doing. It seems like it's more of based on what's right for her. And so that was the root of why I was asking that question. And so the way you explained it, it seems like it's what is your natural rhythm? Would that be a correct summary?
1: There actually was a book called The Red Tent. I think in more ancient times, many women lived together under a certain roof. They would sink their their periods, their cycles up and get their period at the same time. And so I think that a long time ago, it was more likely that that would be the case that many women were on more of a moon cycle. But I think today with artificial lighting, or, you know, air conditioning, heat, being inside indoors, being on medications and hormones, I wouldn't say that that's so much the case. Now you can take 10 very healthy people or even a hundred who maybe aren't even on any of these medications and they might have a different time as far as when they're ovulating or when they're getting their period. But I think that there might be, you might see a bigger group getting it around a certain time. So it's, it's a little bit tricky there. I hate to go there because I don't want someone to think, well, their their cycle's not right. you know? Right. So thank you for clarifying
0: because I saw that comment and I'm like, I'm wondering if, there's a misunderstanding. And so when you talk, started talking about the moon cycle, I figured I would just make sure we're all clear on, on what exactly that means. So thank you. When it comes to the whole body, as you were talking about, we know that diet and toxins and probably many, many other things play an important role. Let's maybe start with diet and talk about how that impacts the body and some of the important things that we should be taking into account to optimize our health.
1: I think that what we eat is paramount to good health, what we put in our bodies. Can we assimilate and utilize the nutrients that we ingest? For example, you can eat a cookie or an orange. Let's, for purposes of the conversation, say that they are both 100 calories and have the same amount of grams of sugar. If you're looking at a label, let's just say, and even they're both, let's say, non-fat or have one gram of fat for the purposes of the conversation. When your body metabolizes the orange that is picked from the tree, it has all of the nutrients in the right ratios that nature intended, including enzymes and fiber and water. And so our bodies can metabolize that orange and those nutrients within that orange very efficiently, very organically. It has the enzymes in it. It's not hard for our system to do that. And we've been doing that for thousands of years. When we eat the cookie, that might have let's say the same nutritional profile, let's say they've even added in the same ratio of vitamins as are in the orange, they are inorganic versus organic because they weren't found in nature. This cookie was made in a factory with refined bleached flour, probably baking soda, chocolate chips that have been made in a factory, maybe some type of oil or butter, maybe some types of preservatives. If you were to look on the back of a box of, let's say, Chips Ahoy, you would see a whole long list of ingredients, some of them which you may not even be able to pronounce. That's just one example. Um, Even if you make the cookie at home, you're often using processed ingredients. And so your body says, when you eat this, I have to metabolize this, and I have to break down the nutrients. It puts a little more stress on the digestive system because, for example, the enzymes are in there, the nutrients are are inorganic. And so your body might be looking for a certain nutrient that is not in that cookie that would that would be naturally found in nature. And so it has to maybe pull it from some of your storage areas in your body, which can actually leave you malnourished. So the processing is also devoid of life force. And I and I can't wait later on to to go into a little bit more of the life force that's in these foods and the vibrational energy. But in general as far as the diet and the toxins playing an important role, We want to start increasing. A lot of us do eat very healthy and take vitamins, or maybe you do take vitamins, but you eat everything organic. But it is really important to start introducing many more vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals into the diet. And one great way to do that is juicing. Now, there's a little bit of controversy about that, and I don't mean going on a juice fast. I don't mean that at all. But I mean perhaps waking up some mornings Instead of starting your day with with a latte or a coffee, maybe starting your day with a green juice where you, you invest in a juicer or you go to your local juice bar and you do lots of mixed greens. And this will flood the body with nutrients and enzymes. Enzymes are catalysts. So they make things happen in the body. We can create some enzymes and some enzymes we get from the diet. In addition, eating a high fiber diet, because in the juice, we've stripped out the fiber. But the juice is so great because we get so many nutrients and so many enzymes. If you were to take a big tray of vegetables or fruits or a mixture and put it in a juicer, you would get like one glass of juice from a whole bunch of fruits and vegetables. But if you were to do a smoothie or actually eat the fruits and vegetables, that would be a great source of fiber. So I would recommend a high fiber diet, at least 40 grams a day. And Americans do not get that much. Um, This is a wonderful way to eat more plant foods and to get more vitamins and minerals in. So what you put in your body is super relevant. What kind of foods you're putting in, good or bad, they both have an effect. And also what you put on your body matters equally because when we talk about toxins, our skin is our largest organ and it's our first line of defense. The pores, as we know, can excrete toxins but we can, they can also absorb toxins and harmful chemicals and creams and lotions and what types of bottles they're in. That all matters. So you can look for BPA-free containers, paraben-free products, mineral, uh, mineral oil-free products. If you're not sure what products are good for you and what products are bad, a great source is the ewg.org Website and that's environmental working group. I have no affiliation with them. I just think it's a great reference source. But be very careful what you're putting on your body, especially when you get out of the shower or the bathtub and your skin is warm and your pores are open, because whatever you're putting on your body at that time is going directly into your skin. So I think it's really important to think about getting the nutrients in, but also what we might be ingesting in other ways, even breathing clean air and things like that.
0: So when we talk about the diet part, so let's dive in there. I guess one thing that struck me in, in the conversation we were talking about, the um, the rhythm of the body and even my little snafu with the the ice cream that I'd had from Shake Shack. And Shake Shack, by the way, is not advertising uh, or funding. This is just, uh, I guess, uh, Danny Meyer, there's your plug. <laughs> but... Uh, what struck me is how you were saying, okay, people could eat you know, cookies and do all these things and be fine, but once they get clean and then try to eat one, they may have an issue. So this brings me to a conversation that I'd had with a dear friend of mine when I was trying to get pregnant, and I was told that I likely had endometriosis and no more gluten or dairy. And the comment was... You know, when I was saying, well, now I notice when I eat gluten, my stomach bothers me. And the comment was, well, of course, anytime you don't eat something and then eat it, it's going to bother you. But I thought, well, but I could not eat broccoli for six months and then eat it and it doesn't bother me. So, can you talk about, like, for those who may say, well, of course, you know, or when you're eating really poorly, it's fine, it doesn't bother you. But when you're eating clean, of course, it's going to bother you. And somehow that being a logic around why it's okay to just mm-hmm. eat whatever you want, whenever you want.
1: Sure. You're making a great point when you talk about the gluten versus the broccoli, for example, because like I said, we can acclimate and assimilate pretty quickly because we're in survival mode as humans. Our goal is to persevere and procreate if you really think about it. And so when we ingest some toxins, our bodies can figure out a way to deal with that. Even when we load up and there's so many people who eat so much sugar every day or, or live on junk food, even you know, whether it's small children or the elderly, live on things like you know, McDonald's and Burger King and that, or people who shouldn't be eating gluten, who may even have celiac, but still eat it. Um, or people who eat a whole lot of conventional meats and dairy and things like that, but it's causing inflammation and what happens or drinkers that drink a ton of alcohol, big drinkers. And what happens is your body acclimates and you get used to it so that your body figures out a way to create a new homeostasis and a new sense of equilibrium in order to be able to live like that and persevere. That said, it does cause problems and it is hurting you overall. There will be inflammation. There will be illness underlying illness, which may or may not manifest to disease, depending on your genetics and epigenetics and things like that. But when you eat so for example, if you had a sensitivity or an allergy to gluten, and you stopped eating it for a long time, you may notice, well, I feel better. I'm a little clearer. I'm a little less bloated. I'm on all levels. My eczema has gone away a little or My psoriasis, whatever, my headaches are better. Whatever issues you were having may, have, may be mitigated. And then you feel a real reaction when you go back to eating that way. Because again, you've created a new, healthier homostasis. And then you've gone back to eating the old way, which initially caused you problems and you haven't eaten it for so long. So, you know, your body's going, it is looking at it like a foreigner and and almost attacking itself. So you will have a reaction, whatever it might be for you. Whereas if you were to eat, let's say a salad or broccoli, and you never had an allergy to that, or you never had a sensitivity for that. And for most people, the greens are very healthy. Your body's thrilled to get that nutrient in. So it's not going to go into shock to have that because we're, we're meant to be eating that. So it's actually going to be happy. Now, that said, some people who don't eat, let's say beans or garlic or uncooked broccoli could get digestive problems or bloating. And some people do have sensitivities to healthy foods like those I just mentioned. And But what you could do with that is you could take enzymes or eat small amounts and cook them more and start your body would start developing the enzymes in order to digest and metabolize those foods so that you could break it down. Just like little children might have food allergies, and they may grow out of them. So I think it it comes down to, you know, gluten gets a bad rap, and there are a ton of people, myself included, that don't do so well with gluten, especially those with autoimmune diseases. That said, some people can tolerate gluten just fine, even though the gluten is a little bit different than it was, let's say, 50 or 100 years ago. That's just one example. We could use dairy. We could say a lot of different things here that people may or may not have a sensitivity to. Some people can eat yogurt and cheese, but not milk or ice cream. So I think that one of the messages with this talk would be to look at yourself as an individual and not compare yourself to your neighbor or whatever fad dieters out there, or even for fertility or women's health of what we should or shouldn't be eating. Yes, there's a general general rule of, of what would be best for us and most humans to eat, but I think that there's... A little bit of leeway based on your genetics, your history, your stress, you know, your family and your natural microbiome, which we'll talk about. So we really have to individualize the plan to what will work for that person.
0: And how does someone know what works best for them?
1: Well, one of the ways is an elimination diet, where you take away a food that you think may be causing you a problem. Because even if you were to take a blood test or get an allergy test, that may not be 100% accurate because it could be that it's ranking high on something that you ate a lot of the last few days, but normally you don't have a problem with, or you ate more of it. You know, that, that could be a little bit off based on recent what you've recently eaten. But with an elimination diet, you're basically taking away a food, let's call it gluten, just for purposes of the conversation, for really 120 days, which is four months it takes to fully get that out of your system and lower the antibody counts if you were to have a high antibody count. So you would notice after that amount of time, probably within even, a, even some people days, some people weeks, a difference if you had issues to begin with. Now, if you felt 100% perfect before and then you took out gluten, you may feel the exact same. But if you were someone who had, let's say, headaches or um, irregularity in your cycle or skin issues like eczema and psoriasis or headaches or bloating or any kind of digestive issue or brain fog or fatigue or The list goes on and on, blood sugar instability. Then you may notice that some of those symptoms are mitigated. So an elimination diet would be one way. Another would be to completely change your diet for a while, like you could give something up or you could say, I'm going to eat a lot less of something or I'm going to eat it every three days. And that would be to figure out what would be right for you. That's where I would say maybe meeting with your healthcare practitioner, your nutritionist, your naturopathic doctor, or whoever it is that you work with to help you design a program that would fit into your lifestyle that would help you to figure out based on what you're eating, supplements, blood tests, and all that. And there are other stool tests and other kinds of tests you could do to determine what would be right for you. It's a little bit more complicated of an answer. It's not exactly black and white there.
0: Right. And I I like what you said there as far as first giving examples around some of these symptoms someone would have, because in some cases, I mean, even with your list, someone may not notice it because we start to live with a normal that we think is okay and so i think giving out some of the examples someone might say oh you know what i actually have had a lot of headaches maybe i should consider what i'm eating so i think those examples prove helpful and i also like what you said about how there isn't a straight answer because i think you know at least through my fertility journey what i saw with so many of the women who i spoke with or saw on social media sharing their stories is we're all looking for an answer. And I think what's important is it's not, like you said, it is not black and white. Things are so individualized and really getting at the root of what works for you. And so posting things like, which diet worked for you on this and which diet worked for you on that? I mean, that's a guide, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's the answer. And I think you sharing that is so helpful because it's a really important point that, people need to be aware of as they're going through their journey of just either getting healthier or trying to get pregnant or solving for some kind of condition that they have. So thanks for that.
1: Oh, thank you. And also just to add to that, there are a lot of issues like SIBO, small intestinal growth bacteria and different kinds of issues now where people think, oh, it's so, and it is very healthy to eat fruits and vegetables and things like that, but certain fruits and vegetables and fiber sources of whole grains or dried fruits or, or even something so healthy like garlic can cause a problem for certain people who have this issue. And I think a lot of women and men as well, but a lot of women don't realize the correlation between symptoms that are not digestive that affect their health and are sources of inflammation. So look at your skin, if you have dandruff, that's a symptom. If you have any kind of itchies, if you have any kind of mood issue, even depression can be linked to what you're eating, any kind of ADD type of symptom. So maybe what you could do is in addition or instead of an elimination diet is you could continue to eat your normal diet and maybe keep a food journal of how you eat after each meal, how you feel each day in general, and what some of your basic overall symptoms are. And then a healthcare practitioner can look at your two week journey and maybe see a pattern there. And maybe that would be a great insight into what might not be working or working for that individual.
0: I love that idea. Fempower Health is pleased to partner with the upcoming Femtech and Consumer Innovation Summit. The summit is the latest deep dive event, part of the Women's Health Innovation Series, looking to tackle this growing sector of women's health. Having had continental success in driving innovation, investment, research and partnerships in traditional women's health care, by bringing together critical stakeholders. Join us in New York on June 7th and 8th as we channel this success into the consumer sector of women's health. Visit www.femtechconsumerinnovation.com to view the superstar speaker lineup and enter code FEMPOWER15 for 15% off your ticket. Hope to see you there. So, let's talk about the specific things that uh, diet can do. Um, And and I think we'd agree it's probably not just diet, it's more complicated. So, I'm sure you'll elaborate as necessary. Uh, So, regulating hormones, let's talk about that.
1: When I I think hormone levels and then I think food, right away I think about essential fatty acids, also known as EFAs, specifically omega omega 6 essential fatty acids and omega 3 essential fatty acids. And there needs to be a balance. In Paleolithic times, it was about a one-to-one ratio in the diet. But unfortunately, now it's really closer to a one-to-six ratio, meaning um, you know one omega-3 to six omega-6s, which we don't want. We eat way too many omega-6 oils in the form of refined vegetable oils, for example, and, and uh, which are in so many unsuspecting foods like salad dressings or cooking oils or sauces and dips, and even something like a teriyaki sauce, sometimes even in candies. So, these omega these, and, and things like french fries and fried foods. So, these omega 6 oils tend to be more inflammatory than the omega 3, which tend to be more anti inflammatory. So really, it's important to be making sure that you're getting the right amount, and again, this is individual, of omega-3 essential fatty acids, and there is such a thing as too much of anything, and and the right amount of omega-6. Are you getting through nuts and seeds? How are you getting them? And really, what are your symptoms? Symptoms such as breast soreness before your period during PMS time might be an indicator that there is inflammation there and an irregular cycle. A shorter luteal phase. There are lots of ways to figure out and determine if your hormone levels are maybe a little bit off kilter. Another great idea would be to stabilize blood sugar levels. Not an idea, but it's actually crucial to stabilize our blood sugar levels. Ideally, we want to keep these levels balanced. So think about the Caribbean Sea versus the Atlantic or the Pacific, right? What goes up in nature must come down. So as high as you fly in the morning from, let's say, Chocolate chip muffin and a mocha latte is is, with all that caffeine and sugar is as low as you're gonna crash later in the day. And this vicious cycle can go all day long where you're up and then you're down and then you're up and then you're down, causing inflammation, brain fog, nervousness, fatigue. And when you have an imbalance in your blood sugar levels, this can obviously raise blood sugar and then it can raise insulin levels, either making you less sensitive or even insensitive, but also uh, creating more androgens for example. So physiological doses of insulin are able to activate androgen synthesis and production in PCOS, and this can affect fertility as well. So for those of you who might have PCOS, it is super important to really help to stabilize the blood sugar by watching your intake of what types of carbohydrates you're eating, how often you're eating them, what the sources are, in what quantity you're eating them. Really watch, really hoping and trying to do everything you can to stabilize those blood sugar levels throughout the day.
0: Thank you for uh, sharing that and answering the question about PCOS because one of the uh, members in our private Facebook group for FemPower Power Health had asked about what is a particular diet for PCOS. So besides the carbs, is there anything else? Because like, for example, I see a lot of people posting about keto and like these very specific diets. And I think one of the themes um, you and I have been discussing is it's not like this one thing. So maybe you can expand a little bit on that.
1: Sure. Well, there are some tips I can definitely share with you. Um, Again, androgen synthesis is a big issue. So Stabilizing blood sugar would be across the board with anyone with PCOS. So that means, like I said, watching the carbs and watching the sugar. Not not necessarily doesn't even have to be a low carb diet, but watching the type of the type of carbs. It gets a little tricky with ketogenic diets because they are um, they have some negative side effects like nausea and headaches. In addition, you're not getting hardly any fiber in the diet, and also they're very hard to maintain. So that would not be the first line of defense that I would go to for, for PCOS at all. But you also have to be careful with the types of animal foods and and the quantity of animal foods if you are someone that eats animal foods and pscos because of the hormones in those foods um, and other elements that may be in that food as well so some women i find do much better eating a paleo diet eating a hunter and gather diet where they're a little higher on protein and vegetables a little lower on the carbs because it really helps to stabilize the blood sugar levels, and the androgen synthesis. But for some people, they actually do better, better on more of a vegan diet. And so I would look into their history, their weight, their exercise. Um, from an Ayurvedic standpoint, what dosha are they, kappa, vata, pitta. I would have them fill out some quizzes. We might find out um, so much, so much about them and their family history that would be in their blood type that would be a very good indicator as to which path to go on and also, really, their lifestyle, because what's going to work is something that someone can continue to maintain. If they hate it, or if it's too hard, or if they don't feel good on it, they're not going to be compliant. So, but those are the t- the two paths would really be, um, you know, watching the, sh- the blood sugar levels, and then watching the types of protein and the carbs. Really working on those essential fatty acid balance, like we talked about initially, and then using herbs. Uh, the more I learn about herbs, the more amazed I am at the benefits of plant foods and how we don't even know all the amazing phytochemicals and things that are in these plants. That's a whole other conversation. But um, there can be very effective herbs like like Vitex, Chaseberry, and um, Don quai that could be appropriate for certain people. And using a whole bunch of other herbs, that's you know a, a different conversation, but really wonderful for PCOS.
0: I think our A person who asked the question will really appreciate this. And for anyone, I mean, I think, you know, again, the theme continues to be, it's not, there's no answer. Like it's, we need to do research. And it really is personalized medicine at the end of the day or personalized diet or however you want to look at it. Absolutely. So the microbiome, you had talked about that. Now let's, let's dive in a bit more. I know that, you know, it's, it's a fairly newer field. And a lot of people are really starting to get into the probiotics, and I think people are starting to be educated a bit more that it's not just about taking a probiotic to have a healthy gut microbiome, but maybe you can talk about what it is, the importance of it, and and how best to maintain it.
1: We have a lot of bacteria in our body, and they're actually more microbiome. There are more the microbiota is another way that we say it. there are more of these. Um, organisms than there are even of human cells in our body. And they live uh, synergistically and they live in in a happy environment where they work together. Um, This is The bacteria can be fungi. It can be a whole bunch of things that are in our system. And there is a way to increase this balance and increase it so we have a healthier microbiome with more strains of different healthy bacteria. One way is to eat more fermented and culture foods. So Obviously, people know about yogurt and miso, which is a form of soy, but there's also kombucha, which is a drink you can make at home or you can buy it. Kimchi, which is popular in Korean dishes. It's, it's a, a fermented kind of cabbage. Um, miso tempeh, which is a fermented to- tofu. Sauerkraut and pickles. And pickles can be any kind of pickled vegetables. It doesn't have to, to just be pickled cucumbers. A lot of people don't like these foods. I found, and so if you don't like any of these foods that I just listed, you could you can take a probiotic supplement. And so you'd look for a, a broad strain with with fifty um, thousand, sorry, 50, you know, fifty million a plus. You want to look for a label. Ideally, they should be refrigerated. Talk to your healthcare provider before you start any supplement plan because everyone's different. So that you know, is not the perfect remedy for everyone. But um, there's another product in addition called FOS, fructo And this is known as a prebiotic. And prebiotics are the food for the probiotics. So we know probiotic is good bacteria, like what's in yogurt, that feeds our body. There are also prebiotics, which are the food for the probiotics. And these are found in the form of resistant starches and figs and bananas, artichoke, garlic, onion, chicory root, the list goes on to nine. So these are, these are just some very good sources of food for the, for the probiotics in our gut. And so therefore these foods help our bodies to multiply the good bacteria, which ultimately enhances our immune system, positively affects our mood, helps with weight control and so much more. So it's really important. We're, we're learning also that it, it affects your mood, your mood, you know, it can affect depression. It can affect so many different things now. And, um, some people do better on certain strains of bacteria than other, and we all know about antibiotics. So if you take if you take penicillin or anything like that, that is an antibiotic. So that is going to kill bad bacteria that might be in your body if you've got some sort of infection. But it's also going to kill these probiotics. So that would be important to replenish through food about two hours away from that antibiotic. Avoiding processed foods can help with enhancing the microbiome too, because these processed refined foods feed this bad bacteria, such as candida, which is fine in small amounts, but in too much candida can cause a whole host of digestive and other problems in the body. So when we load up on junk food, we create an imbalance of the good and bad bacteria. So we want to eat a diet that is high in whole natural, unprocessed foods to make the microbiome as healthy as can be. And also think about the fiber, think about if you eat an apple, the skin of the apple is a great source of fiber and the bacteria feeds off these fibers. So it's actually food for the fiber, food for the for the probiotic.
0: Yes. <laughs> that was really clear. And I, I love that you gave so many different suggestions and acknowledged that some people may not like those foods. I admit. I I keep trying the kimchi a day and I just keep forgetting it. And I think it's in the very back of my fridge. But um, now that we spoke, I'll try some tonight. (laughs) I just can't get in the habit. You kind of have to be in the mood for some of those foods. (laughs) It's like just one tablespoon. Now, what about alkalizing the system? Because I know that that's something that is also important. So what does that mean? How do you do that and, and why is it important?
1: One thing that's important, when you want to alkalize a system is fresh leafy greens is it, when i when i think of alkalizing i think of the color green green yellow and red and i'll go into detail about that fresh leafy leafy greens or sprouts even beets which are a red purple color these are blood cleansers and then think about the color yellow like lemons the color yellow correlates with the liver so the liver is one of our detoxifying organs so what we're meant to eat a lot of yellow foods like lemons, and that can clean the liver. But also, for example, dandelions are yellow. So dandelion tea is a popular liver cleanser and can help to detoxify the liver. Uh, Another thing is just drinking enough fresh, pure water. So many people are into the flavored seltzers or the soda or the diet soda or different kinds of smoothies and juices that they're buying from the store or different prepackaged liquids. And I would say first try to drink as much as possible of fresh, pure water. But as far as smoothies go, you could do a green powder. If you're someone that doesn't like to eat a whole lot of salads and green vegetables, you could do a green supplement powder that would contain greens such as wheatgrass or spinach, kale, even barley juice powder. These can be added to the fruit smoothies and they're wonderful for those people you know, that don't like to eat a whole lot of healthy foods. You can mask the taste with extra blueberries or bananas or strawberries to make it taste more fruity to mask the taste of the green vegetables. Um, Limiting acidic foods can be very effective as well. So alkalizing the food through eating specific alkalizing green foods, fruits and vegetables are our best sources of alkalizing foods, but also limiting the acidic foods in the diet, which is even something healthy like fish is very acidic. Meat is very acidic, and sugar is especially acidic. So these um, acid-forming foods and and alkaline-forming foods means that like a lemon and lime, for example, well, we know that lemons and limes are citrus, and we know that they're acidic, but they leave what we call an alkaline ash when metabolized. So something could be acid or something could be acid-forming, alkaline or alkaline-forming. We often call this an ash, alkaline ash, when it's metabolized. So therefore, although lemons, for example, are citrus and acidic, and they taste, you know, we we could taste a lemon, our mouth would cringe. Ultimately, they have a beneficial alkalizing effect on the body, limes as well. So it's important to think about adding more of these greens, yellows, and purples in the body to clean the blood through mostly plant foods, limiting the acidic foods like the junk food that we talked about, you know, the the processed food, the sugars, um, packaged processed chips and things like that. And also talking about boosting nutrient levels, like adding in the best way, especially for someone who's got digestive issues, would be to get a lot of your nutrients through soups, soups and smoothies, in addition to whole foods. In addition to that, eating seasonally and locally grown foods for optimal freshness. So if you have a farm that's an hour or two away, the the food is going to be the greens or the vegetables or the sweet potato or the apples, whatever is going to be much fresher, even with honey, right? You want to buy local honey and that will help prevent seasonal allergies from those trees that are around you. If you buy honey from Brazil, but you live in New York, that's not necessarily going to be effective to the plants that you're finding in New York. So eating locally, eating seasonally, we can digest. Nutrients are assimilated very, very well in soups and smoothies and supplements can play a role as well when we're talking about boosting nutrient levels. So that might mean probiotics for some people, it might mean omega-3 essential fatty acid supplements for some people or minerals that are no longer found in the diet in optimal levels. Unfortunately, due to, you know, depleted soil, over farming, taking the food before it's ripe, among other factors. And well, we've just gone through COVID. We're kind of still going through it. A lot of people were losing their taste, their, their taste sensation and their smell. And one of the reasons is zinc. Zinc, when you're deficient in zinc, you can't taste or smell very well. So zinc is just one mineral that most of us happen to be very low in in general. We know about vitamin D, but a lot of people don't know about zinc, which is, which is crucial for the immune system. And most of us are actually running around malnourished, regardless of our weight, so you can be 400 pounds or 80 pounds, and that has nothing to do with how nourished you are. Limiting, like I said, sugar, alcohol, caffeine can help us retain the nutrients that we do consume. So when we limit sugar, alcohol, and caffeine, we're also taking in less acid. And therefore, if we do eat some alkalizing vegetables, we'll be able to retain retain the nutrients, we'll be able to utilize that much more efficiently. I, I personally do believe that there are I'm going on a little tangent here, but I I do believe that there is a place for supplements in the diet. Um, I prefer to use herbs when possible as they're less processed, so our bodies have an easier time absorbing and utilizing them. But if you don't want to take supplements and you eat a very healthy diet, make sure that you, and that's fine too, it's not for everyone and it would be important to cycle them anyway, but to eat a varied diet. Some people tend to eat the same thing every day and that can cause an allergy or sensitivity as well. So vary your diet, which would include every color of the rainbow every day if possible in natural foods, Not, that doesn't mean green m and that means different kinds of green vegetables. Um, an ideal diet comprised of let's say beans, some beans, some vegetables, avocado, perhaps some walnuts or nuts, some pumpkin seeds, which would be high in zinc, maybe coconut, different types of whole grains, whether they contain gluten or not is your choice. So whether you go quinoa, brown rice, oatmeal, amaranth, buckwheat, the list goes on and on. Fresh fruits daily, fresh vegetables daily, and maybe some organic animal products if you choose to eat them. This will provide us with many, many nutrients, vitamins, minerals, along with the fiber, the antioxidants, and the healthy phytochemicals. And this will create a great balance so that you don't have to focus too much on the alkalizing and the acidic, but it will also boost the nutrient levels in our body so we can function optimally.
0: Now that we have understood with such incredible examples, and again, I just love that you're proposing variety because that that is what's needed. There isn't a one size fits all. And also with people's preferences, um, it would be really hard to try to put people into a box on this is what you need. So I think giving that Explanation of why things are so important and solutions, and and knowing that people can choose for themselves, I think, is incredibly valuable. So let's say someone takes your suggestions um, and is eating well, but we've also talked about toxins. So maybe you could just give an overview around why the toxins, you know, can also play an impact, even if you're eating perfectly, um, and why it's so important to consider eliminating toxins or monitoring the toxins in our bodies?
1: In our modern diets, we call this a sad diet. And that's actually an acronym, which means a standard American diet, which is funny because it's actually very sad. And it is a diet that tends to be high in processed grains, animal foods, sugar, soda, alcohol, packaged things. And this is a diet that's very acidic. And so this can leach nutrients from the blood. And so what happens is like calcium, for example. So we have one of the highest rates of osteoporosis partially due to our high sugar and salt intake. When we eat something that is acidic like sugar, we're leaching calcium from the blood in order to alkalize from the bones actually. We're leaching it from the bones in order to alkalize the blood because the blood has to keep a constant homeostasis level of, you know, of, of pH balance. So we're getting this acid in the body, and then when we don't have the right pH or we don't have the right nutrients, it is harder for our body to fight off some of these toxins. We can get, for example, unwanted antibiotics if we eat animal foods, and that's, that can be a toxic load. We can get unwanted hormones. Even if you're eating, by the way, organic chicken, you're still getting hormones from that chicken. And if it's a conventional chicken, you're getting additional hormones. Or you may get GMOs, genetically modified organisms from the corn and the soy and the other food products that are in the feed of these conventional animals. Or if you eat dairy products or beef or chicken, you're you're getting a lot of this unless it's organic and you're still getting some of it oftentimes even when they say it is organic. Or you're getting the pesticides if you buy conventional fruit products and vegetables. A lot of people talk about natural flavors. That has an effect as well, because even natural flavors, which you may find in so-called health food products and even certain teas are processed and not actually good for you nor health promoting. They can alter your brain chemistry, making you eat more of something that you don't want to eat a lot of. It could be something like And, you know, well, I don't want to name names here, but certain brands of a healthier version in the organic session, kids' foods and things like that, that it has a little natural flavor in it, you end up eating the whole box. And so that could alter your brain chemistry, and that's not something we want to be eating a whole box of. Nature intended for us to crave, for example, sweet foods because fruit is loaded with vitamin C, which is essential. And unlike animals, we cannot make this vitamin. We need to obtain it from our food. But we're so deficient in so many nutrients, vitamins and minerals, phytochemicals, flavonoids, et cetera, antioxidants. And these are the products that, that protect us from illnesses. They're not really products, but they're, you know, they're nutrients that protect us from illness, toxins, disease, and malnutrition. So one of the best things that we can do to limit the toxic burden is obviously, like I said, being careful what you put on your skin, being careful what you put in your body. And eating your defense, which means, you know, there is information in plant food yet to be discovered every day. We discover new elements of these plant foods. So eating the plants that protect us, they have a synergistic quality when consumed whole rather than a supplement, rather than an extracted nutrient. So for example, fresh chopped garlic cooked in your pasta dish or cooked with your fish is better than taking garlic pills. Turmeric, the actual root, is better than just taking a – a supplement of curcumin alone. These are just a few examples. So, one is watching those toxins in the body, you know, not standing too close to the car that's going by that's emitting fumes, not eating so much tuna which is very high in mercury, heavy metal tox- you know, heavy metal uh, toxicity can be an issue too. So, being careful about these toxins putting them in the body and then how do we eliminate them? Well, what comes to mind first is sweating. Sweating is one of the best ways to eliminate toxins. And any type of exercise that's going to make you sweat, whether it's hot yoga or running or elliptical or fast walking or biking is wonderful. And for those of you who don't like exercise, because those people do exist, and I've seen quite a few of them, there's a trick. And that trick is steam or sauna or an infrared sauna especially for those of you going through fertility treatments in between your cycles of IVF to detox from all those hormones you put in your body is very helpful and effective. Sweating rids the body of toxins. It cleans out the cells. It rids the body of excess heavy metals that come on our sweat, excess hormones, excess salt, excess water. This cleans out the cells and helps them function optimally. It's like emptying our garbage cans. We got to do it or it's going to overflow. In addition, eating a plant-based diet. Now, that's tricky because people think that that means being a vegan and it doesn't. A plant-based diet means eating mostly plant foods. Let's call it 80-20. 80% of your diet comes from whole plant foods, 20% other. And you can choose what that other is if it's animal foods or... And this plant-based diet, this diet in general, should be free of added hormones, pesticides, GMOs, artificial chemicals, that kind of thing. If you do eat animal foods like I said, grass-fed, organic, free range, you are eating whatever that animal ate. So if you're loading up on conventional meat products and dairy and chicken and processed foods all day long, you're you're getting those pesticides and that's a toxic load. You're getting those hormones in. So a great small thing that you can do, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be so simple. If you're eating something unhealthy, eat something healthy with it. Like you would tell your child, if you want pancakes, eat blueberry pancakes. At least you'll get a fruit in there. If you are going out to dinner, which none of us are really doing quite yet because of COVID, but soon we will be, and you want to get a chocolate dessert, maybe you get a side of berries to combat some of the damage, if you or you have a green tea with that to get some antioxidants. Perhaps you grow a windowsill garden. If you live in an apartment, um, you can grow you know mint, rosemary, basil. If you're in an apartment as well, a lot of things grow right by the window. If you're lucky enough to have outdoor space, it's even easier to grow a small garden. And these herbs will obviously be organic and fresh because you're not going to put pesticides on them in your little garden. And then you can watch this plant grow, especially if you have children. They love watching the plant grow. And you can pick this, this rosemary or whatever it is, or the mint. and You could put it in tea or you can add it to your meals and you can eat them. And, and this is actually a spiritual action and it creates a bond with you and nature and the earth. And so helping you to eliminate toxins and prevent the damage from the toxins that are coming into the body. The way that you've
0: shared all of this information, even though I've, I've truly evolved into being like on a, a really healthy uh, lifestyle, even I'm like, wow, I'm motivated to do even, <laughs> even more to be healthier. Like I just loved uh, the e- examples you shared because I think it really brought things to life, but also makes it sound just so positive for the impact on your your body and your overall health.
1: Good. I'm so happy to be sharing these very simple and easy things that we can do to improve our health.
0: No, absolutely. So you've been supporting people through their journey um, for various reasons, whether it's fertility, general health, and maybe some specific health issues. Um, what would you say is your greatest Hope for women's health specifically?
1: My greatest hope for women's health, I think, is that women are able to fully take control of their bodies, include including free choice without judgment. Anyone who might want to freeze their eggs, for example, or have a child through any means possible is able to do so without financial burden, judgment, or physical detriment to their body. Also, it would be great if the standards of beauty become more internal, because I think that we're a society that's very hung up on how we look and the, the, the peer pressure out there. Wisdom comes with age, and it would be great if we could revere the elderly and look to them for guidance. Perhaps ask yourself, how are you living your life? Is it authentic? Are you following your dreams? Because I think that everyone has a special path they're meant to follow, and it's really important, especially as a woman, to listen to our female intuition, which is very strong. Listen to your gut, be kind to yourself, be gentle with yourself, be authentic, and and be confident in your uniqueness. I'd say that's the biggest takeaway. Well said. So- clearly you are
0: living your best life. Um, I can tell that through the passion that you speak with. And it's funny because the quotes in the book that I had read, The Whole Life Fertility Plan, I mean, there were just a few quotes that of things that you shared and they were just so incredible. And now to hear you bringing all of that to life, like it, it's clear that you are passionate. So what inspires you to, to keep doing what you're doing?
1: Well, because I lecture weekly, I love to speak to groups. I love educating and motivating and inspiring people to become aware and understand the importance of the big picture, that we're all energy and we are all connected. It is so simple. We are part of earth and respecting the earth. We should be eating foods that mother nature provided for us. We're so lucky to have these foods. In their whole natural form, we're a society that actually has access to these foods that are unadulterated um, with appropriate crop rotation, You know, letting the soil rest, nurturing these foods without genetic modification and pesticides, growing our own food when possible. It's not always possible, but then we can support our local farmers, backyard gardens, like we talked about. And really connecting with nature inspires me to, to, to know that I can eat a, a piece of fruit and we can, we, can pick, we can pick an apple from the tree, and it bears fruit, this tree will bear fruit that can sustain us for life, this, this plant food. When the energy from the sun is harnessed in these plant foods, in this apple, we increase our own vibrational energy through eating that food. I think that is so incredible. When you take a bite of an apple and you put it down, it turns brown, it's alive and it's dying, it's oxidizing, it's rusting, just like we do. And this, this, you know, this can be so helpful to teach other generations the connection with the food that we eat on this earth. Instead of going to the grocery store and going down the aisles where everything's in a box and packaged with chemicals that's made in a factory, really shopping and buying food and preparing it in our home in its whole natural form. This can be passed down through generations. This knowledge. And actually, on my website, KimRussNutrition.com, I'm planning to add a whole list of inspirational thoughts and quotes to my upcoming blog section to talk about these kinds of things.
0: Wonderful. You definitely should. And we will definitely be on the lookout for those uh, inspirational quotes. Thank you for your time and sharing your wisdom. It's clear that you've worked with so many different kinds of people and have so many learnings from that to share with our audience. And I know that people have a lot of great takeaways. So thank you again for your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me as your guest today. It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you for tuning into this discussion on the FemPower Power Health podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to information that is referred to in this episode. And if you like this episode and found it timely and valuable, please take a moment to tell a friend or a colleague about Fempower Health. And right after this episode is over, please think of one person who might find this episode helpful and tell them about it. And if your friend is new to podcasting, please show them how to subscribe to our show. social media algorithms.